Well, as we continue on with this end time thing, and mostly uh, it's going to take a good portion of this year as we go through this. Because we're going to be blending history and scripture. History and scripture. Because history explains God's work. It allows us to see God's work. And God bringing his word to pass. And we want to be able to see that and to understand it. And we need to be able to recognize that God is the one who is exactly what he says that he is, the beginning and the end. And God is the one who plans these things. And oftentimes we get shook by what we see and what takes place. Our God is sovereign. He's still on the throne. He's still in control. Though Satan will use many different tactics to hinder and Next week we're going to look at some of the things of Satan that will hinder us. Now understand something. God has a plan, but Satan also has to work within that plan. Satan doesn't really sit down and develop his own plan per se. Satan really is what you would call a reactionary. He reacts to the things of God. The moment that a child of God says, I'm going to do right before my father, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, Satan gets busy in their life. Because his desire is to derail God's plan for your life. It is Satan's desire to hinder you from walking with the Lord. So we will discover that Satan has his way in which he's hindering, but he cannot thwart the plan of God. He cannot stop the plan of God. God is going to do exactly what he said he's going to do. Oftentimes, we wonder and we look at things that take place. And I will remind you, some of the earlier writers of end times did not know too much about Islam, per se. They didn't know how Satan would use Islam. They didn't know how Satan would use other religions and other groups. But when it speaks about end times, that all nations will be against Israel, there's a reason behind that. Now, one of the things that I never really given much credit to or thought about, but as I'm going through research on this, Islam is one of the fastest growing religions, has not outgrown Christianity at this point. But it is one of the fastest growing religions in the world. Before 9-11, Islam was about 25% to 40% in America. Since 9-11, it has grown leaps and bounds in the United States. Uh, More temples are being built in the United States. More conversions or people switching from, and we even have... Pastors who have left Christianity over into Islam. We've had priests that have left Roman Catholic over into Islam. We have every walk of life that have left and have changed over to Islam. Have you ever given credence or thought that America may be so dominated with the teaching of Islam that what takes place with Gog and Magog Armageddon, it will not bother the United States. Because we are so ingrained in Islam. Now, we think that Christianity is going to always be the number one teaching in the United States. 
look and open your eyes to how many diverse teachings we have in this country today. Look and see how many Christians say they are Christian but are only nominal Christians but really are not saved. They're only Christian in name and you can see that in their walk and their everyday life. You can look and see in Christianity there is not a sincerity in serving the Lord. You can see that. But in many of these other offshoot groups, Satan has such a hold on their life and such a demand on their life that they are really loyal and committed. The group that is not committed is Christians. Now, I have to, uh, those who are really saved and know that they're saved, they are committed to the Word of God. They, they really are committed. But remember what the Lord says in Scripture. He says He will always have a remnant. He will always have those who will speak His name. He will always have those who will be a witness for Him. But everybody who says they're a Christian is like the word says about Israel. Is all Israel, Israel? No. Is all Abraham's children, Abraham? No. And we're going to see that in Scripture. And what we're looking at as we go towards end times, and he tells us to really look at the signs of the time. And we have to look at those things that are very serious. One of the things about Muhammad when he started in 622, around Mecca, he tried to have the Jews close down their synagogues. He tried to have them close down anything that had to do with Judaism and submit, submit to Islam. And of course, there's no way that the Jews were going to do that. And because of that, Muhammad issued a order in a sense, in this manner. Muhammad declared that the Jews were the enemies of Allah. Now that's coming from their prophet, that any Jew anywhere is an enemy of Islam. It is also carried a little further. Any nation, any group of people who do not submit to Islam is the enemy of Allah. So you have these two great groups, Christianity and Islam, that is going after the world to convert them. Hinduism really don't do that. Buddhism really doesn't do that. Shinduism really doesn't do that. But Christianity and Islam really do go after people submitting to the Lordship of Jesus Christ or to Allah as God. We need to understand that what the Lord says. Now follow through with me in this a little bit. I want to catch your thinking. The Lord says when he come, will he find faith on earth? We've covered this verse before in Luke 18.8. He says, will he find faith? 
Now, catch the verse that follows. And then I want you to hook it to our society today, to our culture today, and what's happening. Even what's happening within the churches today. I want you to hook it because it's so important with the question that is being asked by the Lord Jesus Christ. That when he comes, will he find any who are faithful? Now, in Romans ten seventeen, he says, Consequently, faith cometh from what? Hearing. Hearing what? The message. And the message is heard through what? The word of Christ. First of all, everywhere you look today, the message is trying to be what? Silence. Everywhere you turn, the name of Jesus and his message is trying to be silent. That you cannot speak the name Jesus Christ. You cannot hand out tracts. You cannot speak of the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That in every way, Satan is trying to stifle the name and the hearing of the message of Jesus Christ. Now, if you remove Jesus Christ and his message, what happens to faith? If faith cometh by hearing the word. Now, take for years many of our churches who do not carry their Bibles anymore. Or don't read their Bibles. Or we don't have devotion at home. Or we're not in the word. If you're not in the word, how are you building your faith? If you're building your faith on some pastor, you're on sinking ground. If you're building your faith on just what you hear, but not what you study, you're on sinking sinking ground. Because the scripture says, study to show yourself what? He didn't say listen. He said study. So he makes it where you are obligated to what? To study. Now what is one of the things that Satan hinders us with? The studying of God's word. Because if you don't study God's word, you're not hearing God's word, you're not reading God's word, your faith is not going to grow. And Jesus said, when I come, will there be faith on the earth? Why? Because there has been such a stifling. Now, that also goes with Amos. When Amos says there will be a famine in the land of the word of God. And you can go out throughout history and see where different times in history that the word of God has tried to be destroyed. And now we're in it in a settleness with Satan as he stifles, as he destroys, as he confuses this word of God. And you hear people talk all the time, we got so many denominations. This is saying that we got so many interpretations. Satan is good at confusing, but understand this, our God is not a God of confusion. If you really want to know him, you really seek him, he'll reveal himself. But you need to ask yourself, and one of the signs today, because the word tells us to read the signs of the day in which we're living. Is there a stifling of God's word? Is there a stifling of hearing God's word? Hosea says, my people are destroyed for lack of what? Knowledge. Ezekiel, no, Daniel speaks of two things that will rapidly increase. Daniel speaks of a rapid increase of knowledge. Not about knowledge of knowing the Lord. Look at the technology that has come through. 
Look at all the medical advances we have made. Look at all the advances we made. We're talking about having a car by 2020 that you don't have to drive. You just punch in whatever you want to punch in and it takes you there. We got things going on that man is gaining more knowledge as far as knowledge, but not knowledge of the Lord. And Satan is satisfying us with knowledge. We got so much knowledge, we don't need the Lord. And he says, my people, they perish for lack of what? Knowledge. If they don't have the hearing of the word, they cannot have godly knowledge. If they don't have godly knowledge, they can't grow in their faith. It's not that we're not gaining more knowledge. Daniel speaks about the transportation. That people will move quicker than they've ever moved before. They will travel further than what they've ever traveled before. Why? Look at the transportation. We're arguing about a new uh, rail system in the United States and Congress and the President with this quicker train system where China's train travel anywhere between 100 to 300 miles per hour. Here's ours traveling around 35, 60. Yeah, we need to update. And in Daniel's day, Daniel never knew anything, never even gave thought of a plane. But he says, travel will increase. Knowledge will increase. And those things are happening. But he says, for the lack of knowledge, my people, just that word, because you have ignored the law of God, because you've ignored the word, and 2 Corinthians 2.11 says, In order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. How, how many of us really understand Satan's working in our life? The subtlety of Satan. Satan usually don't come in the front door. He comes in the back door. We need to understand that Satan is out to destroy as many as he can destroy. He's out to deceive as many as he can deceive. And, and that's what's going to take place when we talk about further down the war of Armageddon. Because Satan is let loose after a thousand years. But who he gathers in those thousand years is this. Those in the millennium period that would not accept the Lord Jesus Christ. And like my wife and I, she was talking, she said, she just can't imagine that. How people will see Jesus, live under his authority, and still reject him. And what God is, is going to show is this here. It's the impurity of the heart of man. You can't use any excuse that Satan deceived me, or Satan did this, or Satan did that. It's going to be by your own volitious will that you choose to serve Satan or follow Satan in this war against Christ. Now, none of us will be there. But just think about it. If you don't teach something, your great-great-grandchild may be there. In Matthew 16, 3, he says, 
You can interpret the signs of the times. You look up at the sky and you can say it's going to rain and this is going to happen and that's going to happen. But you can't interpret the times. And I think sometimes we get so busy living that we miss looking at what really is taking place. And Satan is so subtle in what he does. When we get into Ezekiel 38 and 39, we're going to see this, but how many of you understand what Russia did this past week by signing a pact with Iran? In that verse in Ezekiel 38, God directs Russia to prepare the enemies of Israel. And he tells them to safeguard them. So Russia is like a safeguard of the Arab folks against the United States in a way. So what is Russia giving to Iran? Missiles. Why? The most powerful way that they've seen that America defeats the enemy at first was by first sending the planes in. So what do they do? Sell them missiles that can shoot down any planes that would attack Iran because the United States is saying the last thing we want to do is go to war with Iran if they get the nuclear bomb. That's the only way we may stop them. So Russia's stepping in to do exactly what Scripture said, guard them in a sense. We need to keep our ears open and we need to listen and see what's going on. Now, we want to go back to the very beginning because God sets this up. Remember what God says in the very end of Revelation. I am the beginning and what? The end. God sets this up. And God sets up this thing that there's going to be this consistent war between these two. Now, we can say this is a war between the children of darkness and light. We can say this is the war between believers and unbelievers. We can say this is the war of those who are born of the Spirit and those who are not born of the Spirit. You can put a lot of different titles on it. But it boils down to this. It is between Christianity and non-believers. It is between those who are born of the Spirit and those that are born of the flesh. Period. Period. The son of Hagar and the son of Sarah are the two covenants which God is using to set the stage for the final resolution of the struggle between the children of Ishmael and Isaac. That is one of the reasons why the Koran speaks that the Christians lied because, see, all the inheritance always go to who, according to Scripture? The firstborn child, male child. Well, in that case, Ishmael really is the firstborn child. So in the Koran, it says the people of the book lied and twisted this and made Isaac the heir. But what they don't understand is this. Isaac is of the promise. Ishmael is of the flesh. And we're going to see that in Scripture. That one is of the promise. And those who will follow are also then of the promise. And when, I, when we get into John a little bit, I want you to really see. You are of the seed of the promise. 
not of the flesh. Both Jews and Arabs are descendants of Abraham. Now understand this. And I think we missed this. Arabs are good people. They're just people who want to go home, enjoy their families, and also live in peace. Their desires are not much different than our desires. They want to serve their God. We want to serve our God. They're good people. Oftentimes what we miss as Christians is this. Good people will be in hell. Now understand this. Bad people will be in heaven. (laughs) The difference is Jesus Christ. There's not one of us that deserves heaven. Not one of us. But good people who live good lives, who are faithful to their family, who go to work every day, try to provide for their children around the world, but who follow something else other than Jesus Christ, are good, basic people. And that sometimes blows our mind. How would God send that type of a person to hell? Well, if he wouldn't, there would not have been any reason for his son to have gone to the cross. That's the big issue. Will that person believe in Jesus Christ? So there are a lot of good Arabs and Muslims who are good people. But they are also bound to their book, hopefully as we are also bound to our book. They are bound to Allah unless the Holy Spirit lifts the veil. And we are bound to be obedient to God and the freedom that he's given us, no matter what happens. But both Jews and Arabs are descendants of Abraham. And God said in Genesis that Ishmael and Isaac and their descendants would live in conflict. Would live in conflict. Now, go to Genesis 21 with me. Ishmael means to hear. That's what his name means, to hear. God hears is the meaning of Ishmael. God hears. God had to hear Abraham's cry for Ishmael. When Sarah no longer wanted Ishmael around because Ishmael was making light of her son. And Ishmael was quite a few years older than Isaac. But when Isaac was winged and so forth, and Ishmael began to make fun of him and make light of him, Sarah said, get this out of here. For Ishmael in no way will share in the inheritance of my son. And Abraham loves Ishmael just as much as he loves Isaac. They're both his sons. He's the father of both. And God knows the heaviness of his heart. And God knows what he desires for his child. 
And God hears him crying out in the desert. Hagar and Ishmael. Water has ran out. They've been put out of Abraham's home or camp. And God hears. But he hears so much more. In verse 17 it says, God heard the boy crying. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter? And Hagar, do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lie there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. God's covenant here is that he's going to do what with Ishmael? Make him into a great nation. God made that promise that he would do it. Come back down with me if you would please. Come down into verse 8. Let's catch this whole story real quick. The child grew and was winged. Talking about Isaac. And on the day Isaac was winged, Abraham held a great feast. Something like a birthday party. They're celebrating. And, and they're just rejoicing. And there's the whole household of Abraham there just rejoicing. But Sarah saw the son of whom Hagar, the Egyptian, had born to Abraham, was mocking. And she said to Abraham, Get rid of that slave woman and her son. For that slave woman's son will never share any inheritance with my son Isaac. It won't happen. The matter distressed Abraham greatly. Because it concerned his what? His son. He loved Ishmael. He loved Isaac. There was a difference. One was of the promise. One was of the flesh. But he loved them both. God loves us both. The children of the promise and the children of the flesh. But he makes a difference between us. He makes a difference between us. So God also had to hear Abraham. Don't never take it for light or take it as though God don't hear you. God hears your faintest groan. God hears every word that comes out of your mouth. When God Boy, he hears your thoughts. God hears. God heard Abraham. God heard Sarah. God heard Hagar. God heard Ishmael crying. God hears. And he says, Boy, Ishmael, God hears. And he wanted to assure Abraham of that. Abraham, I heard you. I heard your plea about your son. I heard your worrying about your son. Don't worry. I'm going to make your son into a great nation. I'm going to bless your son. Ishmael. God heard that. Hagar thinking, boy, we're going to die out here in the desert. And God says, no. I'm going to provide for you. 
and there's a wellspring. And I will make your son a great nation. God heard the cry. Ishmael, or Isaac, means laughter. Means laughter. Oftentimes we talk about Sarah laughing, but do you realize that Abraham and Sarah both laughed at a different time about what God said? They both laughed at what God had promised. Because they both looked at their natural self and said, this is impossible. And they wind up laughing at themselves. Go back to 17. 17, 17. Look at Abraham. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born of a man a hundred years old? And he laughs. Now, I can understand a little bit of that now. Some of us that are approaching our 70s, we understand a little bit of that. And we would maybe laugh too. And his thing is, boy, he hear God say this, and then he laughs. When you come over into 18, and verse 12, it says, So Sarah laughed to hearing as she thought, After I am worn out, and my master is old, will I now have pleasure of a child? And she laughs. People, God has been laughed at down through the ages. And the sad part about it today, a lot of us are still laughing. They're laughing when God says, I'm going to return. And they mock and they say, well, where is his return? They're laughing. And some of us as Christians, we read God's promises to us. Rather than believe them, we kind of, we don't laugh out loud, but we kind of snicker on the inside and we don't believe it. And we say, it's not possible. It's not possible. And we laugh at God. Even Christians. We kind of smirk. And we laugh. Oh, it sounds good. You know. It may be believable. But we laugh at what God promised us sometimes because it's far beyond what we could ever, what, imagine here in the flesh. And we say, uh-uh. It's impossible. It's impossible. And because in our own reasoning, we say God can't do this, or God can't do that, and we put God in this little box part, and we laugh at his promises, we laugh at what he says he's going to do. And God came right back and he said in verse 14, Is anything too hard for for the Lord. And that's the thing we have to answer. 
Is there anything too hard for God? Is there anything that God can't do? Can God work outside His Word? Yes, He always does. Why? His Word cannot contain everything He's going to do. We would have a Bible bigger than this building. Wouldn't be able to carry it around. But we have to ask that question when we read God's promises or when God promises us something and speaks to us. Is it too hard for God to do? Because that's where Satan gets in there. And if we give him an inch, we're believing God can't do it. We're believing God can't provide. We're believing this can't happen. I was talking with a younger person earlier this week. And I was trying to convince them that living the way that they're living is wrong. And their thing is, well, they care about each other, they love each other, they really don't see anything wrong with it. But God says, the only place sex is permitted is in the marriage bed. Couldn't get past that. Couldn't get past that. And the whole process boils down. We're Christians. You're Christians. You're living together. You're living in sin. No, we're not living in sin. We love each other. We would be living in sin if we didn't love each other. So now we go into human reasoning. God's word now becomes secondary to my what? To my reasoning, to my thoughts. I place myself now as Lord of my life, and I dethrone the one who's supposed to be Lord of my life. For that I can now run my life the way I want to run it, and not allowing him to run my life. And he says, can you trust me? And that's what I asked the young lady. And young man, can you guys really trust God that he means good to you? Can you really believe that God wants the very best for you? Can you really believe that if this man really loves you, God wants you to have his name? Can you really believe that God has ordained this man to really take care of you, to supply for you? See, that's where faith comes in. That's where believing God's word comes in. And then we make those steps. And is there anything too hard for God to do? No. No. But somehow we come up with a plan that's far better than God's. And that's where we begin to venture out. And that's what Abraham and Sarah did. They came up with a much better plan than God. Come on, Haggai, you have this boy. You have this son. That's of the flesh. That was the flesh reasoning. That was the flesh working. Well, they got a son, but it was not of the promise. And catch this. It was not of the Spirit. And 
And that is so important. That it be of the Spirit. It be of God. They both laugh. We laugh. Many people laugh. Remember when the flood came along? In Matthew it tells us they were still eating, drinking, making merry. They were still partying. And, and see, they were laughing at Noah when Noah said, there's a flood that's coming. Noah said, it's going to rain. They're laughing at Noah. But who are they really laughing at? At God. They were laughing at God. And Matthew tells us they were doing all this thing. And it says they did not know. Well, let me put a little light on that. Scripture tells us Noah preached for a hundred years about the flood coming. It says they did not know. What didn't they know? Put two things together. You can know something, but you don't what? Believe it. You can have information about something, but you don't believe it. Okay. So they didn't believe what Noah was saying. Not that they didn't know or have the information that it was going to rain, that a flood was coming. They had that information. How do we know they had that information? Because Noah preached about it. But see, you can have information but you really don't believe it. You can have information about Jesus Christ, but you really don't believe it. You can have knowledge of Jesus Christ and salvation, but really don't believe it. You can have all kind of information, but you really don't believe it, so it's just like you don't even know it. And the whole process boils down. It says in Matthew, they knew nothing. They knew nothing. And usually when people make light and fun of God, it's not that they don't have the information, but they really don't believe it and don't know it. Hey, Pharaoh, let my people go. If you don't, I'm going to send this plagues upon you. No. No. I heard it, but I don't what? I don't believe it. I don't believe it. One of the lines I like in the Ten Commandments is that the Red Sea, after God has pardoned, and all the Israelites go across, and you understand, and he makes this statement, Israel's God is God. God, as we go through this series, you're going to hear God repeat it in Ezekiel. I do these things not because of Israel. I do these things for my name's sake. That the people and the nations in the land will know I am God. Now, because you may know I am God does not mean you will accept me as God. 
But God is going to wipe away all excuses because the things that God does, the people have to conclude only God could do it. So they'll have knowledge of God working, but they will not believe in God. Again, is it too hard for God? But some of the things we're going to talk about, we're going to have that problem believing. That God really is over finances. God is the one that prospers a nation, or God is the one that bankrupts a nation. God is the one that blesses people with their finances, or God bankrupts a people with their finances. That God in his own blessed way ministers to people with their finances. Not to pat myself on the back. One thing when I was doing, when I interviewed young men for pastorate. If your first question when you came in for the interview after we introduced ourselves. If your first question was, what is, what is the salary? I would put on my paper right there. <laughs> Finished. <laughs> because ministering is not about how much you're going to make. Ministering is not about how much you're going to make. Again, not to pat myself on the back, I've never asked Akron Lions Fellowship for a raise. I make the same thing I've been making for the last 10 years. <laughs> Roger used to get on me about that. But God has abundantly supplied, and I have not been in any want. God has taken care. And if I tell you, you have to live by faith, what must I do? Yeah. Yeah. If I tell you God will take care of you, shouldn't I be trusting that God will take care of me? I can't tell you something and then do just the opposite. Go to Romans 9, and we're going to dig into this in the next 15 minutes now. Because I want you to have a good basis and understanding that God is the one who's bringing this thing to pass. And God is the one who is in control of all that's going to happen in the end times. It's not that man's going to do this or man. Man is going to be directed by God in order to do and accomplish what God wants accomplished. And he's going to use these two covenants to do it, in a sense. But he also clarifies some things in this about these individuals. The child of the promise, we are reckoned. And we're done, that's done through Isaac. And it is not the natural child who are God's children. You always hear that little statement by people, we're all God's children. This this is going to help clarify that. We're not all God's children. So when you get into Romans 9, look at verse 7 to 9. There is the adoption of sons. Let me get there. Not because they are his descendants. 
or Abraham's descendants, are they all Abraham's children? On the contrary, it is through Isaac that your offsprings will be what? Reckoned. In other words, it is not the natural child. Now, who was the natural child? Ishmael. Ishmael is the natural child, born of the flesh. That's the natural child. Now stay, now stay with me. Because see, this thing goes from Abraham with his natural child and the child of the promise or the child of the spirit. That we're going to see warring. And he says, it is not the natural child who are God's children. But it is, it is the children of who? The promise. The promise. Who was the promised one? Isaac. And it was the work of God in Sarah's womb that brought forth Isaac. It is the work of God that brings us forth. It is the work of God when God says in John 3 that we must be born from where? From above. It is the work of God that we are spiritual beings, that we are born again. It is not of the flesh. It is of the spirit. And he says, it is not the natural children who are God's children. It is not, in verse 8, in other words, it is not the natural children. Who are the natural children? Those who are just born. He said, those aren't the children of God. Part of God's creation, yes, he allows it. But they're not the children of God. He goes on and he says, let me get back in here. It is not the natural children who are God's children, but it is the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. For this was how the promise was started, was stated. At the appointed time, I will return and Sarah will have a son. God says, I will return and Sarah will have a son. So God makes a difference between the fleshly, Abraham and Hagar's child is of the flesh. And then that which is of Sarah and Abraham, which is Isaac. Go back to Isaiah, uh, Genesis 25 with me. Go back to Genesis 25. Remember earlier we said that, boy, Hagar and Ishmael was kicked out of Abraham's camp? Remember God said he would make them a great nation also? First look with me in verse 7. Altogether, Abraham lived a hundred and seventy-five years. Then Abraham breathed his last and died at a good old age, an old man and full of years. And he was gathered to his people. Now, now, now catch this. His sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him. Ishmael came home. 
to bury his father. Ishmael and Isaac were somehow on speaking terms because somehow information got to Ishmael. It's time to come home because dad's dying. And it said that they buried him together. Now, go back chapter 16. Keep your fingers in chapter 25, but go back to chapter 16. Pick up with me in verse 9. Then the angel of the Lord told her, Go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will so increase your descendants that they will be too numerous to count. Hang on to that thought. That your descendants will be too numerous to count. Now, remember where it says in Ezekiel that he will raise up a two million man army? The verse is saying that your descendants will be too numerous to count. Hold that in mind. Underline that because we'll come back to it in a couple of weeks. Because he says your descendants are going to be this. And we often wonder where is this two million man army going to come from? Well, it's from these descendants. We often hear Israel fighting about the other countries around it. There are 21 Muslim countries around Israel. We just hear some of the larger ones. But 21 different countries around Israel. We're going to look at some figures just in a minute or so. But he, he says there in verse 11 then, And the angel of the Lord also said to her, You are now with child, and you will have a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard your misery. He will be a wild what? And some say a wild man. Underline that, because he is giving the character of the people. They're going to be wild. He will be a wild donkey of a man. Now catch the next part. It's important to catch and understand it. And then look at today in which we're living in. His hand will be against everyone. And everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility towards his brothers. You catch it? Now he's talking about Ishmael here. And Isaac, his brother. That they're going to live in hostility. Go back to 25. Now we're going to see the descendants. God said he would be a great nation. God calls Israel about 12 tribes or 12 nations. Here God, when you look at verses 13 down through, God gives Ishmael 12 tribes or 12 leaders or 12 kings. And out of those will come those which we will deal with today. And somewhere we'll go through some of the countries, what they are today and what they used to be called. But here are now twelve children of Ishmael. Come down with me into verse 
17. Altogether, Ishmael lived 137 years. He breathed his last and died. Now, take note of that. Ishmael is now dead. You think Ishmael's anger for being put out or Ishmael's anger from not being part of the inheritance. Ishmael's anger or whatever it was, that that would die what? With him. That saying of Ishmael, that your hand would be against every man and every man against your hand. You think that would be ended now. Now we're looking at his descendants. Look what it says in verse 18. His descendants settled in the area from Havon to Sur, near the borders of Egypt, as you go towards Asher. And they lived in hostility towards all their what? They lived in hostility. One of the messages we're going to bring is this. Who has the right to the land? So we're going to look at history to see if the land really belongs to the Palestinians or if the land really belongs to Israel. And we're going to look how God in his own way protected the land and how he gives it to who he wants. But here are the descendants now being hostile to those who are the children of Isaac. And that carries down all the way through the end of the ages. And it says, they're hostile. And they've always been hostile towards Israel. When you check history, anytime there was a battle going on with the Jews, the Arabs would side against Israel and fight with those who were fighting against Israel. There's a documentary I wish I would have ordered or, 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 or gotten hold of for you. It was on the History Channel showing Hitler partnering with the different kings or the nations of Arab to destroy the Jews. Not just in Germany, all over the area. And they sided with Hitler in many things. It's a wonderful documentary about the Jewish people and the suffering that they went through just from Hitler's time to present. Now, this whole thing goes back to this thing that, boy, we really got to look at it. What is the time showing us? Are we catching the times? Are we seeing the times? Are we interpreting the times? Do we know who's really fighting? Go back to Galatians 4. Galatians 4. I'm rushing for sake of time. Remember what we read over in Romans 9 about the promised child and the child of the flesh. Pick up with me in verse 22. He says, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, 
One by the slave woman. Now he's identifying. One by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. Catch it. One by the slave woman, one by the free woman. Hagar is the slave woman. Sarah is the free woman. Isaac is the promised child. Ishmael is the child of flesh. Come on down with me. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born in the ordinary way. But his son by the free woman was born as the result of what? Of a promise. The promise is that God would give life to Sarah's womb. That God would give life to Isaac in Sarah's womb. Sarah said her childbearing days were over and laughed at it. And God says, I'm going to awaken it and see what happens. And he says, boy, the one is the result of the promise. Come a little forward in verse 24 with me. These things may be taken figuratively. Now he, Paul says, these things can be taken figuratively. The woman represents two covenants. The covenant with Isaac. The covenant with Ishmael. Two covenants. That God is overseeing and God is instrumenting. God is guiding. Even Russia, when we study Magog and, and Gog, can do no more than what God allows and what God has already planned. All these nations can do no more than what God allows. That's the sovereignty of our God. And that's why we can rest in assurance that when God says that we as his people who are truly saved we're not appointed to the wrath of God. We can rest in that and be assured of that. And he goes on, he says, These things may be taken figuratively, for the women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. Now, the question is, what are they slave of? Mount Sinai represented what? Most times, always the law. Because that's what the law was given. Now, take note of something here. Is Islam very much so under law? Yeah. Not under the Ten Commandments, but they've been made slaves to a law. And they serve the law. They've been made slaves to the Sharia law. They've been made slaves to the law. He said figuratively now. Remember the word figuratively there. Because see, Mount Sinai usually always referred to Moses and the law. But Islam is definitely under law. You can't get away from that. Even in England right now, they're fighting the issue. Because the Muslims do not want to come under the law of England, they want to come under what? The Sharia law. And every place where 
Islam, it says in the Quran, once you grow to a certain number, you are to impose certain things. And one of the things you impose is the law. So they are definitely a people under law. Come on down with me. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Catch 25 now. Now Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with the children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free and she is our mother. For it is written, Be glad, O barren woman, who bears no children. Break forth and cry aloud, you who have no labor and pain, because more are the children of the dissolute woman than of her who has a husband. Now, catch 28. Now, you brothers, like Isaac, look what Paul says. Like Isaac, what? You're of the promise. You're of the promise. What was the promise in the Old Testament? That Jesus Christ would what? One day come and pay for our sin. We are of the promise. Is it not that Jesus in Acts promised that the Holy Spirit would come? We are of the promise. We are the people of the promise. And he goes on, he says... Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born in the ordinary way persecute the son born of the power of what? Of the Spirit. And when you go back into John 3, 5, Jesus says you must be born of what? Of the Spirit. It was Isaac born of the Spirit. We are born of the Spirit, not of the flesh. but of the Spirit. And because we are born of the Spirit, we're going to be persecuted by Ishmael. Catch that. Therefore, you find America is in the same boat that Israel is in when it comes to Islam. We all claim the same father in a sense. Abraham. Jews, Muslims, and Christians. We're in that same boat. And it says, we will be persecuted. The sons born of the Spirit. Now, just take a look with me real quick as, as we close. Land area. How many of you realize the Palestinians keep saying, we want some land of our own. Uh, there's enough Muslim countries around that could give the Palestinians land and not miss one foot of land. And with their riches of oil, could finance that state with no problem. But we fight with I want this little piece of Israel. When you got all this vast land that you could go after. 
Land area and square miles. Islamic nations, 8,879,548. When you compare it with the United States square miles, United States is 3,540,939 square miles. The Islamic states or nations are twice the size of the United States to give you a perspective that the Palestinians could say to their brothers, those Arab brothers, those ones of the same faith, give us a little bit of your land. We don't have to fight Israel. But remember what it says. Allah says you must destroy Israel. Why? Israel, as long as they exist in that area, will not submit to Islam. So it has to be forced. It has to be forced. The population of the Islamic nations, 840,500,000. population of all those Islamic countries around Israel. United States population, 252, kind of low from all the Muslims in the world. And then just look at little Israel. You want to fight Israel, and all Israel has is 8 million, basically, square miles. You can drive across Israel, whether you're going east to west, north to south. You can drive either direction across Israel in approximately 12 to 14 hours. 14 hours. It takes us 12 hours just to go to Georgia. Just give you a little insight, size of Israel. How long do it take to drive out to uh, where Rod, you live, Larry? Three days. Two and a half days. Can you see the mass difference somehow? Can you get in mind, perspective? Now I want you to look at this. Because this is going to help explain the war issue. This is going to help explain why God has to intervene. When Gog and Magog and all the other Arab nations join together and will come against Israel, and then at Armageddon when they come against Israel, if Israel is only approximately 6 million people, how are they going to fight 804 million? Unless God intervenes, unless God steps on the scene, unless God halts it, maybe that's why it says in Matthew 24, unless the Lord ended the war, all would perish. 
Look with me in Psalms 83 in closing. Listen to David and ask, is it happening today? Listen to the voice of Islam. Now understand, it don't have to just be the voice of Islam. There's a lot of Americans today that think Israel should be denied the right to exist. There's a lot of people who think Israel should not even have that land. Israel is God's timepiece, and Israel really is the center of the world. Go to verse 4 with me. I'm sorry, start with me in verse 3. With cunning, they conspire against your people. They plot against those you cherish. Come, they say, let us destroy them as a nation. Now, if you have a Koran, go into it and see how many times the Koran talked about Israel totally being annihilated or destroyed. And here in our scripture it says that these countries will say, let us destroy them as a nation. That the name of Israel be remembered what? No more. That the name of Israel would be remembered no more. Now catch verse 5. Because, again now, put the dots together. Do you see this happening from one Muslim nation to another Muslim nation to another Muslim nation to another Muslim nation? Listen to what the mind is saying. With one mind they plot together... They form an alliance against you. They plot together. Even the Jordanians who have a peace treaty with Israel will always side basically with their Muslim brothers. Egypt who has a peace treaty with Israel. Now understand something about Egypt. Egypt is not Arab. Egypt really is a Muslim. Egypt comes from Ham. Totally different. But the Islam faith has taken hold in Egypt. He begins and he says, The tents of Edom and the Ishmaelites of Moab and Hagrites and Gibbo and Amah and Amara, and Philatiah, with the people of Terah, even Assyria, have joined them to lead, to lend strength to the descendants of who? Yeah. Now, as we step into this further, what we're going to have to detect is this. Do you think Satan is plotting in this and raising up a people who will not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ in order to fight against Christ? Yes. Satan is biding his time. And as we get into Revelation and we look 
at that false prophet and we look at the beast, we need to understand something. When the Antichrist signs that peace treaty with Israel, he just didn't step on the scene yesterday. He has been around for some time. He has been around some time. And I believe that, and I hope I'll show it to you after Scripture as we go through chapter 38 and 39 of Ezekiel, that after this battle, and even after God stops it, the Antichrist, because of all the magnitude of the battle and how it affects the whole world, that this one man who has been building up, that the people will look to him to bring peace. Because they have seen war in such a way that they have never seen it before. And everybody on planet Earth is going to want peace. They're going to want peace. They're going to want peace. And it's all going to be because of this one little country called Israel. And what God is revealing in this whole thing is also the man of sin and the man of righteousness. That's why the Lord says, he that steals, let him just keep on stealing. He that do righteous, let him do righteous. He that does this, just let him keep on doing it. But he who does this, let them keep on doing it. Take note, open your eyes, and see what's going on in the land. See if there's a suppression of God's word. If there's a suppression of God's word, then people cannot grow in faith. Because faith cometh by hearing the word. If you don't hear the word, you cannot discern the time in which you are living in because this is going to be the piece of the puzzle that you have to have in order to really be able to discern the time in which you are living and what's happening in that time. If Satan keeps you ignorant of this and you have no knowledge of this, remember what Scripture said. My people perish for lack of knowledge. So when you get your mark on the hand or on the forehead of 666, most people will be doing it out of ignorance. But yet it will be done. Understand this also. Most people who go to hell, go to hell basically out of rejection of Jesus Christ. And you could say, in a sense, as John says, they are the Antichrist. Why? They are against the gospel, against the message. They are against Jesus Christ. We could say, in one sense, the Antichrist is a spirit, but the Antichrist is going to be a person. 
Because everything that Satan stands against, against God, he's going to somehow put it into a person that will manifest that. And we will see it.